not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. This is Paul Arnberg with Pastor Brent Campolin on the Roots and Branches podcast, episode 32 here in Hastings, Minnesota. This is <laughs> almost Christmas Eve. I think it's Christmas Eve, 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 or something like that. The week before Christmas yep. and all through the podcast, many thoughts were stirring in our foggy brains <laughs> between the kids program on Sunday and the Christmas Eve coming up, plus a vacation after that where we'll have some merciful downtime. But that opening quote I'm sure every American listening has heard that. That's JFK yep. in his famous speech when he was president in the early 60s. And that's a fitting quote I thought of earlier this morning, Brent, yeah. because our new transformational outcome that we're going to discuss over another two-part episode yep. is entitled to selfless. And that is a very apt quote. Again, not partisan politically. It's not endorsing everything JFK ever did. Yeah. But I think many of us, and, and I would add many of us Christians in the 21st century, what was that, 60 years after that quote? 60 plus years. Uh, we agree with that quote that we can't go around in life, Brent, thinking about me, me, what can I do to be served? Yeah. Even in a marriage, in a marriage, Ephesians 5, here's another scripture out of the top of my head. Uh, in Ephesians 5, we're looking to serve our spouse. The husbands laid down your life for your wife because we don't hate our own bodies. We care for our bodies. Just like JFK said, we don't, we don't try to uh, be uh, um, on the dole in the government primarily. Now we all have benefits from the government, but we're to serve the government as we're to serve each other and ultimately serve the Lord Christ, yeah. uh, Colossians 3. Yeah. I So yes, we're in transformational outcomes and today's today's uh, transformational outcome we're talking about is entitled to selfless. Entitled to selfless. And there's a lot to dive into with this yes. because entitled, being entitled is really a flavor of and kind of an expression of the culture that we live in. And a lot of us have kind of swim in that goldfish bowl, if you will, and sometimes don't even realize how much we approach life through a very entitled frame of mind and yes. frame of approach. In every relationship. Again, I, I alluded yeah. to marriage. Sometime, Brett, we should uh, we should add another transformational outcome or do a topic on marriage. In fact, we have an idea maybe in 2024 to do a marriage-themed episode. Yeah. But marriage is, I would argue, the foundation of civilization because from marriage comes children and from families come governments and churches and everything else. But if you were to look at a marriage, and your spouse, if you're married, we need to understand that only by serving one another and being selfless will we have a whole relationship. But yeah. then you can delineate that to every other relationship. In a church, uh, it is the members and the regular tenders, not just the staff, not just the pastoral staff. In a in a society, it's everybody else. And in fact, another couple of quotes that come to mind, Brent, I think I've heard it said that in a typical organization, whether it's a civic or, or business or a church or perhaps a family, um, 80% of the work is done by 20% of its people. And, yeah. and the giving, too. It's usually like 80% of the giving comes from 20% of the people. Now, we're not just talking those with uh, with a lot of means. It just happens to be that the minority of people tend to serve and give more than the majority. Mm. And so this episode, may this, at the end of 2023, if you hear this when we do drop it this week before Christmas, may this be a, a beacon call to learn to serve, be part of that minority that serves the majority, and if you're part of the majority that only is served and looks to entitlement, get out of yourself, be like Christ, and and serve others. Yeah, totally true. And so there, here's some of the threads we're going to pull in through this episode. We want to do a little reflecting on the cultural times we live in, which is part of what we do every time we talk about a transformational outcome. We need to move from kind of an expression of 
uh, a value or something that that kind of defines modern life, late modern, postmodern life, and then go into a gospel-centered, biblical, Christ-honoring path. And so moving from entitled to selfless is really going to be modeled after what we see Jesus do, mm-hmm. like really as our ultimate example. And of course, even in what he has done in redemption, uh, that the Father has sent the Son who has died in our place, that he came to uh, serve and not be, or to to be to serve and not be served, um, and so anyway, we're gonna we're gonna talk about those things, and we're gonna reflect on some culture, and then we're gonna do some biblical applications. That's where things are gonna go. Excellent. We'll have some more cultural references, and Brent has a book, and I have a couple of books, <laughs> and uh, and some other more cultural references, and of course biblical references. So uh, we hope that we this does. This does greet you with a little bit of that peace. Remember the last two episodes, episodes 30 and 31, were from anxious to peaceful, a very apt topic for the Christmas season and even wrapping up into the new year. And now this one could also be a way to help to kick off 2024. Yep. So, okay, let's do some reflecting. Um, what are some, Let's think about some of the ways, and maybe you listeners can think of your own, um, where does this issue of being entitled... Uh, hit home the most. What are some of those places where that really rears its ugly head? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, man, there, there's, there's a whole bunch. What, what strikes you, Paul, as an area where this really comes up? Well, I will say, I will hearken back to my uh, six years as a manager of a childcare program in Edina, <laughs> and one of the pet peeves of my staff and me were then uh, maybe parents were were at work for nine hours and their, their child was in childcare before school and after mm. school. And then of course the staff, we were doting on the kids and then the, the parent would arrive to pick up the child and the child would say, okay, mom, pick my backpack up. You're going to carry my backpack for me. Yeah. And I thought, oh no. And so <laughs> it wasn't just me though. My staff were unified about saying, no, no, hey, Johnny, you carry your backpack to the car. Don't make your mom or dad do the work. And so that idea that mm. um, the kid is me, 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 I just want to be served. And instead, the the total opposite of that yeah. is that when children are sharing in the chores, sharing in the duties in the home or wherever, that child is not only so much more mature, but they're learning to contribute to the whole of the unit, i.e. the family or the school or the church or the business or whatever it is. But yeah. I think I think of that kind of dramatic example, because of course, to be fair, yeah. children are inherently selfish. <laughs> they're not inherently good. I'm sorry, you uh, you humanists. Uh, no, children, <laughs> that's what Frank Brady said. The first thing the child says when he comes in the world is, me, me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and aren't we adults just as much, but we sometimes can kind of like hide it a little oh, bit. Oh, sure. Right? You know, yeah. so we only grow into it and try to be mature about it. No, we course. are inherently selfish. Of course. Yes. Yeah. But I think what you're pointing out is it's part of our, uh, we'll call it our, our sinful human nature. It's part mm-hmm. of the curse of sin. It's part yep. of who we are and our broken and sinful uh, choices that we make. And then in the, in, in, in us, uh, in our sin nature is to think about ourselves, put ourselves on the throne. I see this all over the place. I mean, I know it's, a, it's obviously we, we, we're sinner saints, we're personal struggle with this. I'm sure those of you listening can feel that there's those moments you do too. Um, I think this affects um, dramatically recently in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Chances are many of you who are, uh, you know, if you're working and you're in the marketplace, you probably encounter people that you work with occasionally who um, are viewing their vocation or even their engagement in the business or in the marketplace or on a team through a very self-focused lens. Mm-hmm. It's like, what can I get out of this? Yes. How do I move to my next level in the career? And how is this team going to help me get what I need out of this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that approach, it's really like, it's this expression of entitlement, but 
it is uh, part of what's deeper in our human nature. Yeah. And it just it's, it just comes up in all kinds of different ways. So we've talked about it. it of course, it comes with kids, uh, young people. Um, it can come out in the marketplace. Is there anything else that comes to mind for well, you, Paul? Marriage, I'll say it again. I've yeah. been married 30 and a half years. And I'll just say that uh, Wendy, in all of our marriage, uh, I don't think I've ever outworked her. Mm. So for instance, you know, even when she uh, was helping me run Jugheads full time for the better part of uh, 15 years, where she was in the corporate place and she wasn't yet working at Ripe British Farm, she constantly was finding ways to have panache and finding ways to serve both me and the Jugheads more Whereas if I had a piece of downtime, boy, I'm on my GameCube or I'm playing banjo, I'm doing something else. So it takes a lot for me to get out of myself to say, how can I serve her back? And so, uh, and I think men in particular, women tend to be not only really good at multitasking, they're so giving of their time uh, that men have to say, okay, it's not just about providing and protecting and leading. Mm. We have to serve. Again, Ephesians 5, we have to lay down our lives. And sometimes that comes down to laying down our conveniences, laying down down our preferences and not just the laying down in traffic, like the the literal violent sort of dying in a literal sense. It is giving up my rights to be sovereign over my free time so I can serve my wife, my children, if we have children, or the church, which is something every church needs is that grassroots involvement so that we have um, that corporate body being the body for each other. Yep. There are so many, I mean, we could go on and on. I I think for those of you listening, you probably have a hundred other examples of ways that self-focus can either creep in or just be the dominant thing. I I think it certainly is affecting recent years in the workplace. Uh, The amount of entitlement that comes can come with the work from home models that are used now. Mm -hmm. Not saying that those are all bad and sometimes they're the right model, but but that can breed a sense of of, of self focus because you get to work out of con, out of a lot of convenience mm-hmm. um, rather than maybe being present or being in an office. So there's just there's things like that that affect us, uh, and I think because it's so pervasive, we need to understand some of the deeper reasons why we have that approach. Yes, it is our sin nature. Okay, we could say that as a broad picture, but there's some there's a unique way that this has expressed itself culturally in the late modern world, in our society. So yes, across time, sinful human beings, we tend to focus on ourselves, but mm-hmm. cultures express those in different ways. Um, in our particular day and age, this focus on self has really popped out of um, a, a reaction against uh, some of the, the, um, the, the perspectives of modernity where there was this sense of, uh, we can uh, create a solution for every problem. There's objective r- truth, and then there's a, also like objective paths that are the best way to do it. And there was all of, um, in a sense, uh, in in the modern world, maybe a hundred years ago or a little bit more, there was a sense that we can solve all the things, and mm-hmm. we can invent all uh. of the all of the machines in order to fix it, and we can seek world peace. And there's all this hope and optimism in human ability. Yes, the postmodern world is marked by a deconstructing of all of those yes. authorities, all of those objective truths, all of those ways that we thought we could solve it all. And a lot of that really comes after the world wars that really um, shattered a lot of people's perspective yeah. in terms of the amount of destruction and devastation. It also came through in the cultural revolutions, the cultural and so- social and sexual revolutions of the, of the 60s and 70s. A lot of that deconstructing of... Uh, older, uh, you know, maybe more conservative or traditional ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, So where we're at now, 
the reason why entitlement is such a pervasive thing or is now so at the forefront is you we're living in the in the uh, in the full fruit I'll call it or like the the harvest is now ripe yeah. of the postmodern approach. Yeah. The the cultural context of the postmodern world has now it's now like a full grown tree mm. that is producing fruit. Yes. It's not just a seed or an idea like it was decades and decades ago. It is now a, a, a fully formed uh, tree producing fruit. So one of those things um, that has struck me, and I'll, here I'll bring in a resource yes. that we can discuss a little bit, Paul. Um, there's a book I just picked up recently that was recommended to me by my uh, doctoral advisor, uh, Kevin Van Hooser. Mm-hmm. And so the book is by Ian Proven, um, who is a, a retired professor of biblical studies, uh, and he is now, um, he does some writing. And the book that came out, this is just this year, it's called Cuckoos in Our Nest, Hmm. Truth and Lies About Being Human. Hmm. Cuckoos in Our Nest. And he uses this illustration, and the book is really about anthropology, which is the study of what it means to be a human being. Mm -hmm. And he's taking that, obviously, from a biblical perspective, but he's very much going after the cultural lies, the false ways of viewing what it means to be an image bearer, a human, uh, one of God's creatures, mm-hmm. uh, and he's 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 using this metaphor of a, a the cuckoo, which is the European cuckoo. He says is what's called a brood parasite. Mm. They don't raise their own young, mm. so what they do is they will find another nest and bring one of their eggs and remove an egg from the nest of a different bird, a different totally different species, even. Okay, and they'll. Um, drop that egg in there and that that bird can be fooled that that's its own egg will uh brood and, and then hatch that uh cuckoo and then that young chick will systematically push the other birds or kill them and push them out of the nest wow. and so it's the only one left yeah. and it gets all the food and all the attention and it grows to be this big strong bird and then that's how they so that's how the cuckoos raise their young is they have others do it for them wow <laughs> so he uses this example to say that there are ideas or approaches or worldviews or things that we can believe are true that he can call, they're like cuckoos in our nest. Mm -hmm. They can be infiltrating into our, not only just me personally, but even in like the church at large or a a particular local expression of the church, Mm -hmm. that a church can start to believe in foundational things like what does it mean to be human we can start believing things that the maybe the culture around us believes that's not biblical, and they can creep in. And then what ends up happening is over time, they start pushing the real biblical truth out yeah. of the nest. And then we're left with the false things, the things that are the false saviors, the, the, the reality that's actually like a cultural expression. Mm-hmm. And then that just destroys a biblical worldview. Yes. So his warning in that sense is watch out for these different things. One of them he points out is what he calls the look within yourself cuckoo. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> that I have now truth resides within me and in what I think is right. And it's this ultimate expression. Like I said, a full grown tree bearing fruit. Now the postmodern world, this is one of those, this is the fruit of the postmodern mindset is that truth now is no longer a thing outside. It's no longer a thing revealed. It's no longer a thing that's eternal. 
it's a thing that resides within me and I get to determine and define it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I've, I've gone a little while now on describing this book. How does this strike you, Paul? Well, it's, uh, it, it's telling when we think about the actually uh, displacement of biblical ideas for the worldly ideas, and yeah. I would even say the anti-biblical ideas. And that's one of the scourges yeah. of the modern church is that we think we have to be hip enough for the latest thing. I, I love the Babylon Bee. And uh, a couple of years ago, they had a t-shirt that said, I support the latest thing. You know, And so whatever it is, yep. if I'm on the bandwagon, that must mean I'm a virtuous person. Well, wait a minute here. We need to be critical in... Oh, there's a word there. I, I've heard that word critical a few times <laughs> the last few years. Uh, we need to be critical of any new idea that would even hint at at supplanting yeah. biblical ideas, just like a cuckoo egg will supplant the others. And it's bad enough that the the cuckoo is almost vulturing, to use another bird species, yeah. uh, to, to exploiting the other species of a bird, but it's worse when the cuckoo baby then murders all the other birds. So it's like, that actually is the pervasive nature of of the gangrene, as it were, of, of truth. Well, what did Jesus say? A little yeast of the teaching of the Pharisees. It was worked through the dough until the whole doors 11. Now, that's also put positively, the yeast of the kingdom of God is worked through, and he did use as an analogy for the, the kingdom of God, but then he also used yeast as a pharisaical analogy. Yeah. So whatever it is, beware if anything in your church, in your heart, in your marriage, in your family, in your even your workplace, especially if it's a God-fearing workplace, beware of any idea that supplants biblical truth. And we have to, in fact, Brent, let me, this just came to my mind, and again, audience, I do have a lot of spontaneous things pop in, even in the midst of recording, <laughs> but uh, the morning, I might have mentioned this in the past, but the morning of my Q&A, which is early September when I just came on staff here at New Life, <clears throat> I was in my devotions, believe it or not, seven in the morning because I was up and I was kind of nervous for the Q&A. And I was reading 2 Timothy 4 and a verse popped into my mind, or no, excuse me, I popped off the page. And then I, I, I said, that's a verse I'm going to claim for my entire uh, position at New Life. It is 1 Timothy 4, 5 from memory. Uh, but you be watchful in all things endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, if I've quoted that in the past episodes, forgive me, but just no repetition works for you too, as well as tips for me. Mm-hmm. But that first half or that first part of, of 2 Timothy 4, 5, be watchful in all things. Be like that mother bird on the nest. If another egg is there, it's not just that you have to coexist and tolerate with that egg. The egg could end up taking over all your kids and they're dead. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty drastic, I, but but so the approach here, and this is this, I'll, I'll describe a little bit more about what this author uh, Ian Proven is describing. Um, but we want to approach this with an understanding and a sharp mind on what these things can be within our own sort of intellect, our own understanding of the world, our uh-huh. own hearts, and then the people around us and in the in our church. But not necessarily approach that with fear, right? Because it yep. needs to be like a, a a sense of security and a sense of hope and a sense of being solid yes. on a biblical footing, so that we don't have to, uh, you know, point fingers and blame or be in a position of being afraid, but that we take a positive stance towards that. Yes. Well, part, that starts with understanding the culture that we're in. So one of the things he describes here that I think is helpful, he says in in, in uh, this is a chapter that he calls um, gut feelings, mm. and he's talking about really the intellectual movement called romanticism that um, has, you know, it's, it's in the last few hundred years, this is really, you know, kind of romanticism was a thing in the academy, if you will, but it's kind mm-hmm. of become a street level uh, approach yes. now <laughs> where things are moved from objective to subjective. And this is what he says, in contemporary culture, 
it is certainly a person's subjective testimony to the interior reality, like mm -hmm. what's it within me, that carries the greatest amount of weight. So what carries the greatest amount of weight culturally now is me expressing out in the outer world what is happening within me. Yes. So self-expression ah. or self-focus, or we'll use our key word of the day, entitlement, mm -hmm. like putting these things of the interior of what I think and who I am and what I'm supposed to be projecting that out into the world is the most virtuous thing you can do. Mm -hmm. So what the if you watch contemporary films in the last handful of years, maybe 10 years or more, if you watch or you read books that have been written, novels in the last handful of years, if you just watch the news, I don't know, you can... You go down your social media if you use social media, which I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Um, you, you will see that the heroes of our cultural moment are the people who find what, as opposed to, and even in spite of what others think of them, they find within what they think is true about them, and then they go and assert that in the world and find some kind of self-satisfaction or meaning in that. Mm-hmm. Those are the heroes of today. Mm -hmm. So the ones who, uh, even if they're uh, sort of stuffed uh, and, and have obligations, if you, you can even shirk those obligations as long as you're being true to yourself. Yes. That's the hero today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of illustrations of that. But um, like a, a classic one that's a kid's movie is the movie Frozen. Yes. So that one is like you, this, this young girl has, um, I don't remember all the characters, names, so forgive me, but <laughs> I, saw like, it once. I know I saw it a couple of times. Um, there's this sense of, uh, obligation to the kingdom of like there as an heir and a princess and then running away from that and then sort of discovering what, who I really am inside and asserting that it, it, it's like the, it's the modern, it's the late modern mm -hmm. story yep. being told and being celebrated. So uh, what he describes here with this is this unbelievable focus on the self. And this is what I felt like was maybe the most insightful thing in this chapter. He says that when we go after asserting our inner truth or who we think we are and what, who we should be, he says it takes a markedly religious sentiment. Mm. He said it's almost like a holy moment in our contemporary culture that individuals, having looked within, he says when they disclose the truth about who they are to others— he said that that is almost viewed as a sacred thing. Wow. That it's so important that I take who I think I am and say it to the outside world, hmm. that it's so sacred that if someone disagrees with you or pushes back on it, it's treated like blasphemy. Whoa. Yeah. That's what he says in oh, this book. Wow. That it's the equivalent in the old days of blasphemy to tell someone who's asserting their own truth that they're potentially wrong. Yep. That's... That's what it's like to live in the world that we're in. Truth and originating from oneself, not from an external objective being called the Lord God of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I, and so there's this plays out in a hundred ways. You know, I'm, I know that this plays out when, when we talk about uh, gender and sexuality issues. It plays out when it even when it comes to uh, career mm -hmm. and career trajectory and career choice. It comes out when it's about uh, you know, school, when it comes to family dynamics, when it comes to, uh, I don't know, a hundred other mm -hmm. things. But there's this sense of, I'm entitled to my version of reality, almost like my truth, my 
approach on who I think I am, and I'm going to assert that out in the world. And then it's it's becoming even in some places illegal. Wow! Like there's laws being enacted. That's right. That you can't tell someone they're wrong mm-hmm. in those sign of senses. So this is. I mean, we're getting a little bit in the weeds here, but when we talk about entitled to selfless the roots of how deep this goes in our culture is really entangled. I mean, Mm -hmm. it goes really deep in terms of the cultural times we live in. Yes. Well, and I I like what you said a few minutes ago too, Brent, about not being fearful. So when I was going on about the uh, cuckoos and about if you're not aware and watchful, according to 2 Timothy 4, Five. If you're not watchful, then your whole brood could be killed. Sure, sure. There, there is a difference, though. Watchfulness does not mean paranoia. Yeah. In fact, I yeah. think of a Lord of the Rings reference, which has been a while. In next episode, I will give more Lord of the Rings references. <laughs> but when Aragorn is there to defend the hobbits in Bree from these nine foot or uh, yeah, I think nine foot tall ring wraiths, he's just sitting there looking out the window with a sword in his hand. He's ready to go, but he's not going to be jittery and he'll let the hobbits sleep. Uh, and so there's great examples cinematically, uh, and we in fact. Like this goes back to anxious to peaceful, like when Jason Bourne gets really calm before a car chase or when we're really calm before something happens. Uh, calmness can be equated to watchfulness, and we don't mm. want to look for uh, a demon under every rock or, or a, yeah. a encroacher under every, uh, let's say, visitor or, or idea, but we do still nonetheless have to be vigilant. We have to protect the word of God. What does it say in, in Jude 3? Uh, we are to defend the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We need to be those watchmen on a wall and watch full uh, and yet not let that steal our joy and not let that steal our way to reach out to those who are in desperate need of the truth. In Instead of looking for those who might be adversaries, let's be the light of Christ. Yeah. Like that's Christmas season and Hanukkah season, which I think just wrapped up. Let's be the light of the Lord God that is personified in Jesus so that that light will shine light on the darkness and then we will not be deceived by the darkness encroaching on our ideas or our churches or our families. Yeah, yeah. Amen. That's great. (laughs) I totally agree. And and I think as we go through this conversation, we're going to get into especially a lot of that application and how we approach it, Mm -hmm. especially as we look at the scriptures, which we'll probably pick up in the next episode. So, yeah. So just continuing to reflect here on the, the times we live in, I think it's just fascinating to think of this entitlement it's deeply rooted. It's deeply seeded in the the times we live. Mm-hmm. And one of the outcomes, and this, I think this is where it really, we put a fine point on why we use the word entitled versus maybe selfish or maybe self-focused or something like that. Um, because entitled has almost a, um, a moral judgment. Mm. It's got a flavor of, of morality to it. Uh. If you don't give me what I deserve, you're sinning against me. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, again, words matter and we need to be careful about uh, and to define things well. We use this word entitled, I think, and when we talk about this transformational outcome, exactly for that reason, Mm -hmm. because there's this sense that it's such a twisted approach or maybe an approach that is not Christ-like and not biblical Mm -hmm. and not God-honoring. It's because it crosses over into metaphysics, it crosses Mm -hmm. over into ethics, it crosses over into making a moral judgment upon the world that I deserve. Yes. Therefore, if I don't get... It's wrong. Yes, and it 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 because of that. That's why it's so insidious, or that's why it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that that expresses itself that I'll go back to my book that I've been referencing here, "The Cuckoos in Our Nest" uh, by Ian Proven. He 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 has a chapter, the kind of a, a chapter or two later, or the next chapter after the one I was referring to. 
he, he talks about the power of choice. Mm. And this is really where it gets into this entitlement idea. He says that once you've jettisoned this objective reality or object, objective truth and everything's subjective, the way that you handle that in a social way or like when it comes to entitlement and I feel like a transaction needs to happen in order for me to feel satisfied or for me to feel meaning. Mm -hmm. He says that what we're left with without objective knowledge, without objective truths is all that we're left with is choice. We are now craving, if it's all about me and it's all about me absurding what I want, then the best environment for me to be able to do that is an environment where I get to just choose whatever I want to do. Uh, I crave choices and I crave not options in a good way. I know that you're an options I guy. I love options, yes, yes. <laughs> but, but, but we've talked about this in the other episodes as Paul being a guy who loves options. It's, yes. it, that's out of a sense of hospitality, oh, which is totally you. different, yeah. right? But a sense of I want the choice affects so many different uh, things. Mm -hmm. So you can't, in other words, it's pushing back on the, um, don't put limits upon me. Ah, uh, yes. Don't put limits upon what I think I should do and what I think is right for me and what I think I uh, is my truth. Mm -hmm. You need to let me have all the options available so that I can choose whatever I want to because it's about me. Yes. And this this sense of the we're, we're uh, as he says, exercising choice is one of the biggest moral or sort of social goals that we have mm -hmm. that we feel and we feel that we have to have that in order to make this subjective internal reality actually work out in the world yes choice is actually a, a word if we were to look at it in all the manifestations in our society modern society that could be synonymous with idolatry that that yes. choice yeah. is the highest moral good. Yeah. And it's not just the choice that many of us have heard about since 1973. It's the choice of even career. Like, you know, one of my pet peeves, having been a youth mentor for most of my life, as well as um, someone that loves to mentor in general, I'm going to yeah. speak at a men's retreat in February. I love to uh, influence others for, for good and, and for the Lord. But we don't have the option to do everything. I, I've done 12 marathons and it bothers me when say, you can do it. If you just want to do it, you can do it. Well, not everyone can. Not yeah. everyone can qualify for Boston. Not everyone can make the Olympics. Not everyone become a CEO or even a professional, but maybe you're exactly suited to be a tradesman. Maybe you're exactly suited to do things. Like recently, Brent, uh, if yeah. you don't mind, I'll, I'll indulge the listeners with this anecdote. Uh, I had to step in for our dear Jody, whose father-in-law passed. I don't that's okay to say yeah, now. Yeah, Fine. It's yeah. it's uh, the funerals in the past, but um, I I had the privilege with Wendy and uh, uh, Jess and Christine and your wife Sarah and others that teamed up Matt McCall on sound yep. to put on the children's program without Jody there. My goodness, that's really tough. But afterwards, I said that was so fulfilling for me because yeah. I felt, in a sense, I was born to step into that because it's <laughs> just so natural. But the point is, everybody, I don't think I was meant to go to Broadway. Here's a little trivia about Paul. Uh, in 1994, I did audition for Disney World. Uh -huh. I did audition for a, a show called Forever Plaid, downtown Minneapolis. I did audition for a radio show called, uh, well, a radio station called uh, Radio Oz. Yeah. And I was one of five finalists, and I was up against Tim Russell, who's been on the Prairie Home Companion, and he's in the movie and everything. So I didn't get those parts. But guess what the Lord God did? He said, Paul, you're not going to Broadway. You're not going to go to Disney World. You're not going to go to Forever Plaid. You're going to start a juggling club for kids. Yeah. And then I did that for 29 years. Yep. And then, but I have got to perform. I've got to perform every year in my juggling show. I still now get to do announcements and performing at church with the youth and the children yep. and on my own. And so the point is, Paul Arneberg 
cannot be on Broadway. And guess what? Even if I had landed the Disney World gig, yeah. I don't think it would have fulfilled me because I don't like the lifestyle that is so transient and, and let alone being on the road. Yeah. Even the, the Christian performers I admire the most, I wouldn't want their life of having to go city to city to city. So the point is, everybody, yeah. think about the Lord's choice for you. You don't know what's best for you. Yeah. The Lord loves us more than we love ourselves. <laughs> so that little small anecdote, and by the uh, way, listeners, forgive me if you think I talk too much about myself, but there's an old adage, write what you know. And in this case, I'm speaking what I know. Yeah. I'm speaking from 54 years of experience. But I'll just say that in my experience, athletically and theatrically, yeah. I've wanted more than I could accomplish, but praise God, he denied it so I could find my true fulfillment, even in helping third to fifth graders and let alone three-year-olds to 10-year-olds do a Christmas program when there was a need. Yeah. I love that you're speaking about just uh, God's sovereignty yes. in these things. Because I think one of the dimensions of entitlement is a usurping of that yes. in our hearts. Yep. We put ourselves on the throne yeah. instead of Christ on the throne. Yeah. So rather than saying, boy, God, you've put these desires in my heart, I'm going to pursue them and then I want to see what you have planned for my life. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different perspective than I have these desires in my heart and I'm going to grasp onto them like an idol. I mean, mm. like something that I'm almost getting to the point of worshiping, like I have to do this or else I'm not going to be satisfied. Yep. There's that sense it becomes this insidious, poisonous thing in our heart mm -hmm. where you can take what is you're good at doing and easily have that become something that you can make an ultimate thing rather than a good thing. Yeah, and that's why the Lord warned Solomon, do not lay up too yeah. many riches for yourself. Do not marry foreign wives. Do not do this and this. And the Lord blessed him beyond all get out financially in other ways. But then that was his undoing. Yeah. The riches and certainly the pagan wives became Solomon's downfall. So you could get the world. And, and Brent, one of the most common prayers I've had over the years, especially for, I would say, clients of mine, those that have supported me and let's say paid me to teach the kids to juggle, uh, do not, or what, what's the verse again? Um, uh, it is better to uh, not gain the whole world than to lose your soul. Yeah. And so what, pro how, here's the verse, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What can a man give to exchange for his soul? Yes. Therefore, you could get all your dreams fulfilled that are your dreams yeah, yeah. and still miss the mark of being Christ-like. Exactly. But here's the good news, people. We're not talking about uh, asceticism for the sake of asceticism, which means deliberately causing yourself to suffer. You just surrender, submit yourself to the Lord. Yep. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And that's Psalm 37, 4. Wendy yep. inscribed that in one of my little Bibles she gave me like 20 years ago in the midst of my depression over infertility. So you need to submit yourself. He'll fulfill you. Make sure your dreams are the Lord's dreams for you. If not, seek him like you've never sought him before yeah. and make him your God rather than your dreams, your idol. Yeah, exactly. And there are so many ramifications to this that I think maybe this is where we'll, we'll kind of wrap up for the last minute or two here, and then we'll pick it up next episode. But the, um, the outcomes of this perspective of entitlement, and then even just like the desire that I need to have all the choices and I need to be able to do all these things. Mm -hmm. There's, there's evidence. And, you know, I've got some of this research sitting on in my, in my office. So I could, I, you know, if anybody's interested, but there's um, evidence that those who have uh, are, are sort of come into a generational and embrace a trade that maybe you're uh, your family business or something like that. If you if you don't feel this sense that I need to go strike out on my own and do all the own things and and have all the choices and then be able to blaze my own path, like if there's a sense of inheriting a path or, or a um, 
you know, the, the, the family business or something, there's, there's evidence that you feel more satisfied mm. in being connected to a rooted thing uh. than in striking out on my own and sort of f- fulfilling my own path. Mm-hmm. There, you don't even have to talk to a Christian, like social psychologist to figure this stuff out. It's just evidence that, that a choice actually is something that causes less emotional health mm. and that having a plethora of a, like of being able to go and do my own thing whenever I feel like it and asserting my own truth. Yes. That, that actually, that reality of you, there's, there's a, a book that I, I have recommended in the past that's by a guy named David Zoll and it's called Seculosity. <laughs> it's ah, about, it's, it's about, cool like, title. yeah, it's about viewing the world. Like even the secular world is a highly religious kind of a thing where oh, everybody's yeah. trying to work their way into uh, like a merit based way of living. That's Everybody the world. is religious. Everyone is religious. Exactly. So that's what this book is about. That's and every good. chapter goes through and talks about how family can be a thing that can be just like works righteousness, sure. job, entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, vacation, whatever other things. Um, and one of the th- chapters he talks about um, how we can be paralyzed by choice, mm-hmm. that this entitlement that I want to be able to assert what I feel and do what I want all the time, that that's actually creating a generation of young people. And this is especially a, um, a problem for teenagers, for preteens, teenagers and young and, uh, and, and young adults, is that this you can become so paralyzed by the options mm that you don't do anything or that you feel stuck or that you become anxious. Yes. So some of the anxiety epidemic across our culture, across our, our country, comes from young people being told, you have the truth within you and you need to go assert it out in the world. Mm. And these young people are, we are not designed to carry that load. That's right. We are created in God's image by a sovereign, almighty, eternal creator who has revealed who he is and what he desires of us. And rather, it will crush you to have to find the truth within and assert that to others. That's right. Rather, you will find yourself thriving in dependence on God yes. when you come under his authority, his direction, his way of living. So mm. actually, we actually thrive by... by surrendering ourselves to and bending to revealed truth from God. Amen. That's the paradox of the Christian faith is the irony, or should I say, well, like I said, paradox. When we surrender to the Lord, we're more fulfilled than we can ever possibly conceive in our minds. Yes. So we're going to wrap things up now. There's so much more we can share, and we will. On episode 33 coming up, this is Paul Arneberg with Pastor Brent Compline, New Life EV Free Church. We're so grateful for uh, you listening in this Christmas season. Listen for us next episode on part two of Entitled to Selfless.